Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So let me just start by saying, you know, I really enjoy the fact that you and I uh, share the chores around the house. Uh, It's kind of an equal process. Uh, For example, the other night, uh, you spent a good portion of the afternoon uh, washing and folding the laundry folded freshly on the counter. Right. And then I came home and uh, and made a Mexican fiesta, and now my underpants smell like tacos. Oh, no. Is that yeah. true? Y- yes. My underpants smell like tacos. I shouldn't have made tacos with all the laundry folded freshly on the counter. That's the thing, is um, I do the laundry in the living room and then bring it into the bedroom, but it doesn't always make its way in here uh, as quickly as it should. So yeah. that was my fault. You know, I should have made, I should have <laughs> brought the laundry in and put it away promptly. Uh, but instead, now we have spicy delicates. Hey, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, really, to have <laughs> underpants that smell like tacos. I'm just saying it, it's taking some getting used to. I love Mexican food, so I'm in. Okay. We got a message from one of our um, freak family members, Crafty Beer Maven who uh, informed us that uh, you went first two times in a row. Yeah. Is I, that right? I don't know. I, t- I have stated the entire time we've been doing this thing that <laughs> I will not be in charge of who goes uh-huh. first, nor will I keep track of it. Um, I don't care. I think we got confused because we were recording on the road. That's probably true. a couple of weeks. Also keep in mind... I don't care. Okay. All right. I think whoever has the better, the the more upbeat story should go second, regardless. Regardless. Yes. Well, that's not going to work today um, because my, my story is probably going to be more upbeat than yours. Oh, I, no. I, and I go first. Are you ready? Well, unless you want me to go first. I'm no. more than happy to. Well, I guess we could consider that, but uh, no, no. My turn. Here we go. It was a warm Saturday afternoon. Oh, remember warm Vaguely. That was a good time. It was July 4th, 
1795. Now, a crowd had gathered outside the Massachusetts State House building that uh, would soon be topped with a beautiful gilded copper dome created by Paul Revere's company. Okay. Now, much of what took place at the ceremony to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence is uh, lost to history. We didn't until recently okay. know what happened during the ceremony. Until Thursday, December 11th, 2014, near the very same State House building, a water main burst. <gasps> the workers were asked to scurry their little butts over there and investigate the water leak. Mm -hmm. And what they found was much more than just a, a rusted out pipe. They found a rusted 220-year-old box. Ooh. A time capsule. <gasps> Wait, it, like a legit time capsule legit, or just stuff in a box? No, it was a legit time capsule. That's so much fun. It had been placed in the cornerstone of the building on that very warm Saturday afternoon in 1795. Uh, oh. The people who placed it there were none other than Paul Revere and fellow revolutionary Samuel Adams. <gasps> Who was, uh, as you may remember from your, uh, oh, you're drinking a Samuel Adams, an IPA. Nice. Sam Adams, if you remember from your school history, uh, was the man that Revere was riding to see that night to warn that the British were coming. And he makes a hazy, juicy IPA. According to CNN, uh, the time capsule, capsule, Capsule. It's a new word I just invented. I like it. A time capsule. It, it, it's like I'm three years old. It's a time capsule. <laughs> <laughs> no, this I like time it. capsule, it, it's real hard to lift. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Can can we can we get some questions answered? Well, I'm 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 hoping to answer a few, but yes, do you have one right now? I do. Okay. What is the year that they found the time capsule? That they found the time capsule. Uh, in 2014. 2014. So, according, Shut your face hole. I know, right? According to CNN, the capsule was uh, placed by the revolutionary era duo in 1795. Now that year, Adams was governor, and that's when the construction of the state house and its iconic dome uh, was was started. Eventually, that that would be overlaid with copper by by Revere. Okay. Now, this was uh, actually not the first time the capsule, capsule, I'm just going to say that from now on. Apparently, uh, you can't stop. <laughs> uh, it was uh, not the first time it was unearthed. It actually was unearthed by mistake in 1855. It was dug up during an emergency repair to the state house, but it was put back in uh, place. Undisturbed? No. Oh. It was not undisturbed. And in fact, those who found it and then later realized that that was the same one that had been found in 1855 were a little worried because according to records, the 1855 people, quote, cleaned the contents with acid. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. So they were, yeah. quote, a little concerned that things may be deteriorated inside. Uh, <laughs> hey, we found these priceless things. Don't worry. We put acid on them. It'll be fine. Um, so weird. Oh, Mom, I found our uh, family heirlooms in the garage. Don't worry. I put them in the garbage disposal. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Those were different times. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, other experts were a little more uh, optimistic. Apparently, they... Uh, 
in the mortar uh, around the stone that the 1855 people repaired the the brickwork with uh, included coins from 1855. Oh my goodness! They sprinkled in some coins. That's so cool. And the coins were in extremely good shape, so they thought this could bode well to what is actually inside the box. Oh my gosh, I want to see those coins. Where the, are those coins? They, Where's this time capsule right now? They, <laughs> you have, okay, no, yeah, tell yeah, your, go, okay. go. I'm going to say things. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so because the coins were in good condition, uh, they were optimistic that the box exe- itself had withstood the uh, the test of time and that uh, everything inside was was going to be relatively... Uh, safe. Uh-huh. The Guardian reported that the small greenish box was opened on Tuesday night, January 6th, 2015, uh, at, at the museum by a conservator. He carefully lifted the lid and cautiously peered inside. I see what you did there. This worked a little product placement into nice. the... Yeah, nice. thanks. Uh, the crowd, there was a crowd that was there to, to witness it. Of course, TV crews were there. Everybody sure. was breathless. As expected, the first items were from the 1850s. From the last time it was it was opened up. Sure. In 1855, Governor Winslow Harley. What a great name. That is a great name. Winslow Harley. And two Masons imitated the original ceremony with a new box made of brass alloy and items from their own era that were tucked inside with the original box. Okay. After removing several layers of daily newspapers from the mid-19th century, which were thought to include uh, the Boston Bee... And a Republican-friendly daily traveler, one of the experts pulled out coins from the 1850s, including three, a three-cent piece, pennies, and uh, you're, a, you're a collector of coins. What is this? No, uh, I... <laughs> a quarter, a quarterler, must a quarter dollar. Okay, it must be like their version of a, of a quarter. A quarter dollar. Q-U-A-R-D-O-L-L-A-R. Quarter dollar. Quarter quarter. <laughs> Yeah, just keep yeah, saying it. Whatever. Capsule. But after uh, removing many objects from the 1850s, they actually got to the point, they got to the point where they reached the objects from the time of Jefferson and Adams. They included the Copper Medal of Washington that declared him general of the American armies and the president of the United States. Okay. Coins from the 1780s. With eagles and Indians. Sure, sure, sure. Yep, yep, yep. And a coin with a pine tree on one side, minted in 1652. Being a coin collecting geek, you're... you're I'm not. You're, it's not, okay. not even a not thing. Not even a thing. Nope. Um, the colony printed its own uh, technically illegal money during that period, uh, which followed the execution of King Charles in 1649. But... Uh, they were promptly punished for it. Oh, my. After the crown was restored in 1660. Those naughty colonials. Then one of the conservators pulled an imprint of a seal of the Commonwealth out, a copy of the title page of the colony's earliest records of 1600s, and finally a silver plate engraved with the names of Adams and Revere, marking the celebration on the 4th of July, the plate, they believe was actually made by Paul Revere. So cool. Can you imagine finding no. that shit? No. The contents of the capsule. W- <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mean to do it that time. And now I can't. 
Okay. Look at me. Look at me. Okay. Look me. I am. Okay. Capsule. The contents of the capsule went on display at the museum, but uh, they're saying it may be returned to their original resting place in the cornerstone after some more conservation work. Oh, so cool. So they're going to add to it and then put it back? Well, I think they're going to dip it in acid first and then. Oh, sure. You know, absolutely. Put it back House in there. of Haunted Hill style. <laughs> yep. House on Haunted Hill style. Capsule. I don't know what it is about time capsules. Well, I, I do. It's, it's a direct can. connection to yeah. our past. And so I have always, always been thrilled with uh, the idea of finding a time capsule. I was obsessed with time capsules when I was a kid, and I used to bury things all the time. Like, nothing that I remember being of any value or significance, but I would bury things in boxes and be like, this was my doll when I was five. It's, you know, whatever. And I don't know why I thought that anyone would be happy to find that (laughs) because if I was the one who was digging stuff up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I found a time capsule, you guys. And I opened it up and there's a Malibu Beach Barbie inside. I would be like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'd be horribly disappointed. Hey, I just thought of something. What? Maybe when I was metal detecting and dug up that box of dildos, Mm -hmm. that's what it was. The time capsule? For sexually active uh, people in the future. Maybe. Why would you think that your dildos would be of superior nature to futuristic dildos? Vintage dildos are always better. Disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Forgot you put yours in the dishwasher. First of all, that's unrelated Uh and doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. You just wanted to say it. I just did. I just wanted to point that out. That you put your sex toys in the dishwasher. Not anymore. No, that was a while ago. I had a... It doesn't matter. Listen. (laughs) Years ago, doing a a radio morning show, I thought it would be really cool to have a time traveler on the show. So I I, I did my show from an an old historic building, and I hid a time capsule there with the permission of one of the uh, people in charge of, of, of the building. And... The, the message in the time capsule said, hey, future time traveler, I'm doing a live broadcast way back in this year. Mm-hmm. Travel back and see me and go live on our radio broadcast. Right. And of course, nobody showed up. Sure. And then a couple of years later, I was talking to the guy who helped me hide the time capsule. And I said, is that still there? And he goes, oh, no, I took that out. And I'm like, well, that's why he never showed up. Right. And that's the thing is I think a lot of times, you know, we we create these experiments for time travelers. This is a little tangent, but sorry. Um, And then when they don't pan out, we think to ourselves, oh, well, that means that time travel hasn't been, you know, isn't a thing. Um, when I think very often when it comes to situations like that, we need to step back and say, are we someone that a time traveler is going to trifle with? Probably no. They don't give a shit about you, what you want, your radio show. They could find that all day long and be like, okay, whatever, bye. You know, the thing is, based on the ratings, not many people gave a shit about my radio show. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure you are in the top five top morning shows in the nation at one point. Those were heady days. Anyway. Oh, speaking of uh, time capsules. I feel like you were fishing there a little bit. Maybe a little. Stephen King signed some books mm-hmm. 
and they are in a time capsule in uh, below the statue outside the Bangor Public Library. I didn't know that. Yeah, he did that back in the mid '90s, and I it was printed in the newspaper at the time. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it started out with "Hello, people from the future." No, he's so sweet. I love him so much. Um, speaking of people who have signed Stephen King books. That includes us, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is weird. At the live show at Zany's in Nashville, one of our freak family members brought a Stephen King novel for us to sign. <laughs> I felt dirty doing that. It's wonderful, and it was it's interesting because it's one of my favorites, Insomnia. And so, uh, you know, we just I think you wrote something like "Keep flying that freak flag," yeah, yeah. and I wrote, "I mean, have you read Insomnia?" <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. great book. Read it. Here are some more time capsules that have been discovered. According to Gizmodo, they report the residents of Lebanon, New Hampshire, recently discovered a time capsule hidden under the steps of their city hall, dated uh, 1944. Not quite as impressive a time span. Okay. The capsule was in the form of a brown whiskey bottle. (laughs) It was just an empty bottle with a note inside. The time capsule was placed there by a former city supervisor, Samuel Stevens, who has, you know, since passed away. The note, along with a lone penny and a newspaper clipping, uh, apologized for the lack of whiskey. It said, whoever finds this bottle may keep it. The note was from July 10th, 1944. It said, sorry, there's no liquor in it, but I drank it all up. This is amazing that uh, this guy set up a punchline 75 years ago. (laughs) I love it. And delivered it from beyond the grave. You got to love that guy. Speaking of lone pennies, years ago, I traded in my GMC Envoy. It was white. Um, Inside was a wheat penny in a jar. Yeah. And I forgot it when I was cleaning out my car. And then when I went back the next day, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot my wheat penny. It's in the jar. And they were like, yeah, we've that. We don't even have that vehicle anymore. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I was like, what are you talking? So um, if you happen to have found <laughs> a wheat penny inside a old spaghetti jar inside a GMC Envoy, please send it to me. We do have a, uh, a box that you can send things to now. Uh, we should talk about that at some point, too, maybe at the end of the show. All right. Anyway, send me my wheat penny. I'd had this wheat penny in my vehicle since I was uh, since I first got my license, and then I friggin' lost it like an <laughs> idiot. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, all right. Are you sure? Yeah. All right. In another incident, volunteers at the American Legion Post 76 in Arlington, Washington, finally decided that uh, the artillery shell sitting in the lobby should probably be glued down. But they were surprised to find the shell was actually a time capsule from 1934. <gasps> They were very surprised to find also that somebody had gotten to it first. Oh, no. There were a few clippings and coins and things and documents and magazines, a menu from a local hotel, and then a note that said, thanks for the brandy. (laughs) (laughs) That's glorious. Don't put whiskey or any kind of alcohol in a time capsule. Disagree. It's not going to last. 100% disagree. All right. In April of 2014, a retired a retired postal worker named Marianne Winkler discovered, this isn't a time capsule, but it is, but okay. not in the traditional, okay. uh, whatever. She found a message in, the, in a bottle. Mm. It had washed up on a German beach, and uh, it's thought to be the oldest message in a bottle ever recovered. It was uh, tossed into the ocean by a guy named George Parker Bitter in 1904. <sighs> Yeah. 
a researcher for the UK Marine Biological Association. Uh, he tossed about a thousand bottles into the North Sea between 1904 and 1906. I feel like that just sounds like littering. Yeah, well, back then they, they encouraged littering. They said, here's a bunch of garbage, throw it in the ocean. That's true. Somebody's got to start this plastic island. They didn't have plastic back oh, then. That makes me want to cry. They began it with glass, actually. No, actually, he was studying uh, ocean currents, and each bottle contained a note inside, which promised a small reward, a reward of one shilling for anyone who mailed it back. Oh, okay, I see. We did something like this in um, elementary school, I think, but we we released bird-killing balloons instead. <laughs> and um, If you mailed the dead bird back to it you. Was, <laughs> it was like, if you find this balloon inside the belly of a dead bird, uh, please send it to Bucksport Elementary School. Now, looking back, that was a horrible experiment. Please continue. The note included a survey in English, German, and Dutch that would help researchers learn, you know, where the bottle was found. Anyway, the people who found it followed the instructions and sent it back to uh, the agency, which still exists, of course. I love this. Needless to say, researchers at the organization were shocked. Sure. So they think that is the oldest uh, message in a bottle found thus far. That is wonderful. That's like when I find old magazines and there are those ads in the back and they're like, send 25 cents to blah, blah, blah. And we'll send you a mystery coded thing or majig. And I'm like, I want to do that. But I know probably that place doesn't exist anymore. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Construction crews in Indiana were shocked to discover a time capsule from a 1958 former mental hospital. What? The exciting part? It contained a film with a message to the future. Oh my goodness. A message about electroshock therapy and psychiatric drugs. Oh no. Unfortunately, a lot of the audio in the film was lost. Sure. But there were pieces that uh, did survive. Were they horrible? Well, here's a clip. For instance, we may someday, and only the people that open this time capsule will be able to say, uh, we may go back to insulin shock or the development of some other of some other drug techniques and so forth. When uh, the psychiatrists of the future open this time capsule, only they will be able to tell how well we've solved our treatment problem, not only today, but in the future. We are sincerely appreciative of what cameras at that time that they can run this film so basically they were saying uh geez future people don't judge us too too harshly just because we think they're probably going to bring back insulin shock as a therapy technique yeah i think um it actually sounded like they were pretty open to the idea that hey in the future you might have Mm. some some better technology Yeah, you guys sucked. (laughs) And now my final story of time capsules. This this comes from Vice. Here's the headline. A priest used Jesus's butt as a time capsule. (laughs) Well, according to Vice, finding the right place to hide a time capsule can be tricky. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you you stash it in the walls of your childhood home. You put it in a cornerstone of a of a of a state building like Paul Revere did. Mm-hmm. Anything like that. But uh, apparently, mm-hmm. 
Restorers in Spain said they uncovered a centuries-old rolled-up note while working on a wooden statue of Jesus. Employees at the restoration company Da Vinci Restoro Restoro, first noticed a small opening in the hollow statue's bum, covered by an old piece of cloth. And when they took a closer look inside, they realized that the entire statue was home to a secret scroll. It was a handwritten document, basically a time capsule, documenting everyday life in the 18th century Spain. Its author was a priest named Joaquin Minguez. He reportedly uh, slipped the note inside the crack of the statue's ass for safekeeping sometime around 1777, (laughs) likely uh, expecting it to be pulled from the depths of the butt cheeks and read by a distant future generation. Uh So hundreds of years later, uh, that's exactly what happened. It's amazing, a local historian said, because it really is unique to find (laughs) hidden handwritten documents inside Jesus's butt. Yep. Uh, He didn't say that. He said inside a statue. Sure. Uh, Da Vinci Restoro has not yet said what it plans to do with the butt note or they've got given any more in, uh, details about the contents, but it did release a short video of its staff reenacting the notes discovery <laughs> for some reason. Did it? The, it shows two art restorers pulling off a section of the Jesus statues bum mm-hmm. and uncovering the rolled up paper, like some kind of a kinder surprise egg. According to Vice, uh, the clip is uh, strangely scored by music that sounds like a Curb Your Enthusiasm outtake. (laughs) Uh, But Vice says, if you discover a 300 year old time capsule inside the butt of Christ, you're allowed to make the kind of video you want. And you can find that online. I think that's true. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Wow. That was glorious. What a wonderful, wonderful collection that you've put together there. I'm going to put it in a box and store it someplace safe. And I think you know what I'm talking about. And now it's time for That Thing in the Middle. The International Classification of Diseases is a system used for coding diagnosis and reasons for a visit in healthcare and medical records. Uh, These are some strange ICD-10 codes. I don't know where you found these, but these are brilliant. I want to make this a series. Can we please do this again, even though we haven't done it yet? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. W55.51. Bitten by cow. That's what that code means. <laughs> That's what it Bitten means. Bitten by cow. W92.253. That's the ICD code for injured at opera house. It happens so often that they have to abbreviate it and give it a code. I love it. Code Z63.1. Problems in relationship with in-laws. Does that lead to a hospital visit? <laughs> it depends on your in-laws, I guess. Number two, V91.07. That's the ICD code for burn due to water skis on fire. <laughs> Is this that big a problem? I'm starting to believe that maybe this is not a real thing. Okay, maybe. It's hilarious, nonetheless. And code Y92.241. Injured at library, which, as we know, is a dangerous place. The Box of Oddities. 
with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So, you know, we were kind of joking before we did our first live show about how it was going to be entertaining to watch two people with a social anxiety disorder <laughs> on stage live for the first time. It wasn't entirely a joke. Uh, we do deal with that. But I'll tell you what, when we were in the green room before we went out on stage, one of the ways that I kind of centered myself and calmed myself down was with the Calm app. I wanted to do a good job. I didn't want to suck too bad. And with stress and anxiety, many people can often feel exhausted during the day because you're not sleeping well at night, because you're not falling asleep, because worry is hanging out with you and affecting your days. Mm. Uh, It's also affecting your nights and probably affecting your overall health. That's why we're partnering with Calm. Calm, the number one app to help you reduce that anxiety and stress and help you sleep even better. More than 40, did you know this? 40 million people around the world have downloaded, 40 million people have downloaded Calm. I have the notifications on my phone. So every day at 1.30, I get a Calm reminder and it generally will just uh, say, hey, have you been doing your breathing exercises? Or, hey, do you need to step aside for a moment and take inventory on yourself and i love it because it legit does help me go oh that's right yeah i need to think about me yeah take time for yourself and it's as we've said before not just about meditation one of the things we really enjoy about it is the sleep stories Mm. and we've talked about that quite a bit in fact we got a message from calm they said hey cat and jethro we have a new sleep story in the app read by matthew mcconaughey God, I don't know if that would make me it's sleepy called, at all. It's called, <laughs> well, at least you're in bed. <laughs> it's called Wonder. I do wonder. And it's it's, <laughs> it's already the most listened to sleep story. Uh, I guess it's about 35 minutes long. He tells a story about the mysteries of the universe in his magical voice. And it's just dreamy figured we'd just let you know that's pretty cool and if you head to calm.com slash box you'll get 25 percent off a calm premium subscription which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety stress and focus including a brand new meditation every day there are also sleep stories and soothing music and more again calm c-a-l-m dot com slash box com c-a-l-m dot com slash box and box of oddities listeners will get 25 percent off a calm premium subscription get unlimited access to all of calm's content today at com.com slash box get calm and stop stressing hey here's a thing that we think you might like it's a thing that we do sometimes where we tell you about things that we think you might like we call it Things we think you might like. So here's the thing that we think you might like. It's actually a podcast that we recently discovered. It's called Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You. And he just may be. It's hilarious. There's a lot of podcasts out there uh, about life hacks and life coaches and productivity optimizers. And this is kind of a satirical podcast about an underqualified, overconfident lifestyle entrepreneur played by comedian Peter Oldring. Now, the show makes fun of all the uh, thought leader, life hacker, productivity optimizer ideas that surround our digital lives and clog our social media feeds. 
But it's a one-stop shop for all the life strategies you need to help you quote unquote, crush it. So it's a silly way to look at how to seriously improve your life. It's a really, really cool concept. Very clever. Very well done. Uh, It's a weekly podcast. It's a must listen if yourself is looking for help and a whole lot of laughs. It's both. Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You is available wherever you get your podcasts. But if you'd like to listen a day early, download the Himalaya app in the app store. That's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and make sure to stay tuned at the end of the episode for their hilarious trailer. Check it out. We love it. Dexter Guff is smarter than you, just so you know. Box of Oddities spells boo. Coincidence or proof of ancient astronauts? All right, what you got for me? So the Zanzibar Leopard... Zanzibar leopard. Right? It was officially declared extinct 25 years ago, but that classification has been called into question after a wildlife biologist caught the elusive predator on camera. Oh, I love these stories. We think that they're all gone, and then we find one. That's what we're doing today. We're talking about species that we thought were extinct turned out not so much. I love it. Go. Much less extinct than we thought before. Fantastic. Less less of an extinction, more of a not extinction. There is a difference. Right. It's subtle, but... A tortoise species thought to have gone extinct more than 100 years ago was discovered in the Galapagos. Oh, my God. The last time this tortoise, which also has a very scientific name, <laughs> was seen alive was 1906. And a recent expedition to one of the islands in the Galapagos proved otherwise. Uh, The Galapagos Parks Authority and the conservation group on the Galapagos said that they found one alive and well on Sunday of last month, hanging out in a patch of vegetation, just chomping away, doing his thing. So not acting important at all. If there's one, there's probably more. Probably. Yes. Also, very resentful that we've been to Ecuador twice and yet not visited the Galapagos Islands. Well, it's not really just a hop, skip, and a jump. It's what, a six-hour boat ride? Something like that. Anyway, part of the issue with this recently discovered leopard is that in Zanzibar, it's they're inundated with cultural beliefs about leopards. Uh, leopards apparently uh, were connected with evil biddings by witch doctors in their minds. And um, there's a rumor that when Zanzibar leopards were hunted to extinction, witch doctors brought African leopards to the mainland to continue to help do their magic. Wasn't there an indigenous people's belief from Central or South America that the jaguar had some sort of mystical powers like that? Maybe. That sounds familiar to me. Maybe it was just a movie I saw. It sounds right. I don't know. I know that um, a lot of cats get a really bad rep. Uh, Like, even still, they say that the adoption rates for black cats are incredibly low because people still hold certain thoughts about black cats, which is insane because black cats deserve your love just like any other cat. It's legitimately insane. Anyway, the Javian elephant. 
Scientists thought that the Javian elephant disappeared not long after Europeans came to Southeast Asia initially. However, it looks like the Javian elephant was saved from the same fate as so many of their other animal friends. I say friends, but I don't know that the dodo bird was like ever friends with the, the Javian elephant. Get together for football in, on the weekend. In and, my head, yeah. it's a cute cartoon. Sure. They're buddies. Going on a road trip. Yes. So locals believe that the Sultan of Sulu, which is now part of the Philippines, actually transplanted elephants from Java to Borneo. And in 2003, there was a study done that found that Borneo pygmy elephants are genetically distinct from other Asian elephants and that they are probably actually Javian elephants. No way. And so they're probably the only animal that has actually been saved by Disrupting. Yes, the trade of of the species. Oh, my God. Which is incredible. And not to say that you should partake in animal trade, but it may have worked in this case for this particular species. The coelacanth, which is perhaps the best known of all the formerly extinct creatures, um, and also a creature whose name I have previously butchered on this podcast, um, they were presumed to have gone extinct 65 million years ago. And that is until a South African museum curator discovered a specimen on a fishing trawler in 1938. I remember as a kid, uh, my mother telling me that uh, that had happened like decades ago and and that uh, it was uh, certainly a highly unusual event. And it just captivated me as a little kid. And it really got me interested in this sort of thing. The idea that um, there's so much in this world that that we believe to be one way when in another, it's actually very, very different. And so my mom really is the reason I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> well, that's I what think, I'm getting at. I think in a lot of ways, that's 100% true. It sounds like your mom was a big fan of weirdos yeah. and uh, kind of instilled that that interest in mm-hmm. in the other side. In the unusual. Yeah. 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 She definitely did. She was always, I think I've mentioned, you know, she, she had Edgar Casey books in the house right. and uh, uh, Raymond Moody's uh, Life After Life and the Bridie Murphy story and reincarnate all that kind of thing. And, and it just, uh, it whetted my appetite for, for this sort of thing at a very, a very early age. She just really encouraged that idea of being interested in things, which yeah. I am, I am so sad that I never got the chance to meet her and, and know her. Cause I feel like we would have really liked each other. Oh yeah. No question about that. <laughs> So these fish can live, (laughs) sorry, swooping back into the story. These fish can live up to 2,300 feet below the water surface, and they're pretty huge. They can grow up to six and a half feet, weigh almost 200 pounds. But some scientists believe that the coelacanths represent an evolutionary step between sea and land animals, that they were really important in that evolution. Had something to do with their flippers, right? That uh, they were kind of um, leg-like. They could make some kind of a connection between the two. That, that makes way. sense, which uh, 
side note, we've been watching these Nova specials about... Uh, the anthropological beginnings of man. Yeah, and and bones being discovered in uh, caves, and uh, we're going to talk about that later. Moving right along. Omura's whale. Omura's whale was only named a species in 2003, and it was purely from dead specimens. There were no confirmed sightings of this species, uh, which measured around 10 meters in length. And because there were only dead ones that they were finding, they they believed that probably they were all dying. And because they couldn't find any oh, okay. living species, okay. they believed, okay, this this so these must be extinct. They weren't fossils. That's right. They were they were flesh on dead things. Right. Uh-huh. But um, enough so that they believed the frequency with which they were finding the the dead things and the fact that we'd not seen any living mm-hmm. of these species led to the conclusion that probably they had gone extinct. Interesting. This is actually a really interesting whale for a couple of reasons. And one of them is it has a, a head that to me kind of looks like a bird's beak. And one side of it is very light in color, and the other side of it is very dark in color. Ooh. So they're they're split down the middle, which is super interesting. And it turns out, discovered off the coast in Madagascar in 2013. No way. Uh, later, confirmed by DNA evidence, that is Omura's whale, and they still uh, roam the oceans. The Nelson. Um, the Nelson is actually a little shrew. He's so cute. And the mammal was discovered in 1893 and was not seen again for 109 years. That is until two scientists decided that they were going to prove that the animal was extinct. And their goal to prove that proved that it was not instinct. It, that it was not, in fact, in, that it was not, in fact, extinct. Capsule. Capsule. Uh, they are four-inch-long creatures rediscovered in the slopes of the San Martina, Mart, Martina, rediscovered in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Look at this little nugget. Oh, my goodness. Isn't he sweet? He looks like a, a cross between a mole and a, chin, and a chinchilla. He does have a, like a super soft, uh, cushy-looking fur. Yeah. He looks like a plushie. Not extinct. Extent, as a matter of fact. Which is a term that I learned because of this podcast. No kidding. Okay. Wow. The Arakan forest turtle. Prior to this turtle's rediscovery in 1994, it was last seen in 1908. Wow. That's nearly 100 years for an animal that does not move rapidly. It is a forest turtle. (laughs) Which I don't understand how turtles can live in the forest anyway. They're so low to the ground and there's so much forest business, sure, yeah. you know, going on the bottom. And they're really slow. I'm surprised that they've been able to evade any kind of detection. How do they do that? That's right. One of the things that work for these turtles is they like to hide in the forest floor debris. Uh, They live in Myanmar, and uh, a couple of specimens eventually turned up in Asian food markets. Oh, my God. That's how they discovered that this animal was not extinct. No kidding. Is because people were eating them. Oh, they didn't just go to the food market on their own? No, it wasn't like they were looking for delicious fresh 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 produce. produce. Yeah, no, okay. No, no. That's not good then. They were being eaten. 
Um, unfortunately, this animal is still traded by pet dealers. So, what? Yeah, there is another species called the Philippine forest turtle. Again, how? But they are critically endangered as well. Um, and pet traders, it's a real problem, which is one of the reasons why it's so important to be aware. And it's hard because you see these videos of these animals and you're like, I need this in my life. Sure. And you want to bring this thing into your home, into your life. But it's important to keep in mind why this specific little tiny cuddly animal might be available to you. And that's because it's not living in its natural environment. Now, this is not me virtue signaling. This is me stating that uh, probably we need to be responsible. And I don't think that that's well, as badly, unreasonable to ask. As badly as I want one of them chinchilla moles. Exactly. I'm not going to take it out of its natural environment. Thank you. Although... Pugs I'll take out of their natural environment all day long. Well, their natural environment is your lap. That's so, true. <laughs> um, <laughs> and by the way, only rescue dogs for us. The Takahi is a flightless bird native to New Zealand, and they were considered extinct in 1898 after four specimens were killed and mounted for museums. Oh my God. So probably, hey, there's not a lot of these birds left. We should kill these right away. <laughs> um, not the best plan. It's not very forward thinking. In 1948, the Takahi was rediscovered. And they used to be abundant, uh, but there are now only a few hundred known in population. But there are still flocks of them. I think that they're called flocks, even if they're flightless birds, right? I couldn't tell you. Okay. I, we'll have to look at I don't up. know. Big bunch of birds. <laughs> the pygmy tarsier. So these tiny primates have large round eyes, hairless ears, and long fingers ending in sharp claws. And you may remember I had a little picture of a tarsier on my refrigerator at my old apartment. I do. It was to remind me to be more responsible as a human. <laughs> it was hard. But um, they are native to cloud forests in Indonesia at high elevations. And basically they hang out in the pine trees near the ground and they were added to a list of extinct creatures with no specimens found in the 1930s about 80 years later an exploration team set out to verify once again that pygmy tarsiers were indeed extinct and turns out not extinct they were so tiny um, they are pros at hiding and uh, there are still pygmy tarsiers but though not a lot of them they found that um, in so many of these cases, there are still members of the species around, but that doesn't mean that they are safe from extinction. Considering the um, habitats that these animals live in and the rapid deforestation, so many species are in danger. And this is uh, probably one of those episodes where... Um, I'm going to get like comments about how I'm a PBS uh, broadcast. <laughs> I will never not talk about birds. Okay. 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 <laughs> get over it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> um, scientists estimate that 150 to 200 species of plant, insect, bird, and mammal species become extinct every 24 hours. That's incredible. 
Wow. That's not 100 to 200 animals. It's 100 to 200, I mean, 150 to 200 species going yeah. extinct every single day. So scientists estimate that 150 to 200 species of plant, insect, and bird, and mammals become extinct every 24 hours. That's nearly a thousand times the natural or uh, what's called the background rate. And that's greater than anything that the world has experienced since the vanishing of the dinosaurs. That's shocking. I, I didn't realize it, that it was that big a number. Right. Holy shit. There are those that believe that we are in the middle of the next mass extinction. But it's happening slowly so that we don't recognize well, that it's... whether or not it's actually happening slowly is debatable. 150 to 200 species a day? That's nuts. And the IUCN, which is the International Union for the Conservation of Na Nature, says that there are now 41,000 species on the red list. 16,000 of them are on the endangered species or threatened list. 16,000! You mentioned we were watching a, a Nova special about the uh, origins of man, and they were talking about uh, Australopithecine robustus, which was a man-like giant ape from hundreds of thousands, well, a couple, actually a couple million years ago, mm -hmm. and of course has been extinct for a long time. Or are they? I think there's a small pocket of these giant man-like creatures still alive in the Pacific Northwest. We call them Sasquatch. You were just looking for a reason to bring up Bigfoot. Yep. yep. <laughs> I was waiting all this time. But I mean, why couldn't it be? Sure. Why? No, it this, obviously the, happens. The coelacanth can go for 60 million years and people think it's extinct and they just pull them up in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. Why not? It, no, I think that's a great point. Thanks. Bigfoot's real. Could it be? So the species that are endangered right now include one in four mammals, one in eight birds, and a third of all amphibians. 70% of the world's assessed plants are on the list, meaning in jeopardy of extinction. I guess the point is there are things that we don't know about. I mean, there's so much undiscovered in the world. And uh, there are these amazing stories where we find out that this incredible tortoise isn't actually extinct. And he's just munching away on yep. the Galapagos. And yep. it's amazing. But there is so much that is threatened. And it 100% has to do with us. And um, I just downloaded like this palm oil uh, scanner on my phone uh -huh. so that I can try to be more aware of the palm oil that I'm ingesting. <laughs> okay. It's just, it's not easy. Yeah. And I'm not saying change your whole life, but it's, it's so upsetting to think that, you know, any choice that I make might have to do with the extinction of any creature. And, you know, I, you know, I don't believe in, in reanimating the dead. So well, that's where we we differ. I know, I know. So let's I'm just all for it. not uh, have them go extinct in the first place. <laughs> all right, okay. Well, that that was really interesting, and uh, it, it in in a strange way, it does give you hope for sure that uh, that maybe there are some species that we've said goodbye to that are still out there. I'm crossing my fingers for the Tasmanian devil. Oh my god, that would be so awesome. Oh, let's not forget we have to give out the uh, the mailbox number. Oh yeah, for, okay. For the, for the box of oddities, so we. 
finally got a mailbox because so many people have sent us pictures of amazing things that they want to send us. And, um, you know, obviously, I can't just have you send things to my house because our mailbox is very small. <laughs> and so we got we got like a legit box that you can send things to if you're interested. And it is this 499 Broadway box 164 Bangor, Maine 04401. And you can just address it to the box of oddities. Sure. Again, because I'm writing this now. Like I don't have it. 499 Broadway 499 Broadway box 164 Bangor, Maine 04401. And of course, our email address, still the same, curator at theboxofoddities.com. That's so much easier. Yeah, it really is. Oh, and also wanted to mention that uh, they're still working out the details. Shouldn't be too much longer where if you want to get the Box of Oddities a day early, then uh, you can download the Himalaya app. Himalaya. H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. Himalaya. Himalaya. I just made that up. Please don't. Pretty great. Let's cut that out because that was embarrassing. That should be happening pretty soon where um, you'll be able to get the box of oddities a day early, but only on Himalaya. So download the app now and uh, subscribe to the box of oddities and you'll be all set to go when it does happen. And it does happen two times a week. And we will see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those who report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hey everybody, this is Dexter Guff, host of Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You. Now if you're looking to change your life, possibly for the better, but no guarantees, you've got to check out my show, Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You, and it's brought to you by Himalaya. Now Himalaya is a brand new podcast app. So go to your app store, download Himalaya, and look for Dexter Guff is Smarter Than You, and hopefully I will get your ears on my mouth. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.